Hello, my name is Francis Greenway, and I'm joined today by Professor Maxi Scherer. In this episode, we are going to talk about the new LCIA rules, which came into force on the 1st of October 2020, and in particular, the changes that have been made, which encourage the use of technology, and how the new rules accommodate modern arbitral practice. Maxi is a member of the LCIA court and has a thriving practice as arbitrator and as counsel at Wilmer Hale. She has also had a distinguished career in academia. She is a tenured professor at Queen Mary University in London, where she teaches courses on international arbitration and has held a wide range of other academic posts all over the world. She has published extensively on the topic of international arbitration, including most recently on international arbitration and the COVID-19 revolution, which explores the effect that the ongoing pandemic has had on international arbitral practice and in particular, how it has prompted the move to embrace the use of technology. Maxi, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Thank you, Francis, and uh, thanks for your kind words of introduction and uh, for having me. It's a great pleasure and honor indeed for me to participate in these LCA podcasts and even more so being interviewed by a former colleague. Absolutely, it's a great pleasure to have you. Um, and perhaps we could start um, with you giving us an overview of the key changes that have been made in the 2020 rules, which encourage the use of technology. Sure. So the 2020 LCA rules include several important updates um, to accommodate and indeed encourage the enhanced use of technology in LCA arbitrations. Um, they can be broken down in let's say four main areas. Um, one of course is the use of virtual hearings or remote hearings as I prefer to call them. And here the idea is to uh, use video conferencing or conference calls or any other use of uh, communication technology for hearings to take place. The second and, and more generally beyond hearings is to encourage tribunals to use technology to enhance efficiency and expeditious conduct of the arbitration. This is in Article 14.6, little 3 on expedited proceedings. Um, third, and again, in my view, a rather important shift is that all provisions on written communications now specify that the default is correspondence per email or other electronic means. And then last but not least, at the end of the arbitration, you have the award. And here, Articles 9.9 and 26.2 of the new rules clarify that awards uh, may be signed electronically and in counterparts. Um, I'm sure we, we have the opportunity to come back to these uh, four uh, areas, but uh, overall and, and generally speaking, um, these changes are really important. Uh, not only do they increase the flexibility of the arbitral process, but they give the users of LCAA, LCAA arbitration a solid basis um, how to use technology to improve the efficiency of the overall process. So obviously this is particularly important um, in the current situation with COVID-19, um, but these provisions will have a long lasting effect on LCA arbitrations for the years to come, I'm sure. Thank you very much indeed for that overview, uh, Maxi. So taking the four areas that you've identified um, in turn and starting with a topic that will 
no doubt be of interest to, to our listeners. Um, that's virtual hearings or remote hearings as, as you prefer to call them. We've seen that the new rules make express reference to, to virtual hearings. And um, as we know, the extraordinary times in which we find ourselves mean that many cases now go down that route. Is your sense that virtual or remote hearings are here to stay? Well, first of all, I think it's always important to remind ourselves that remote hearings are nothing new. I I remember on LCAA arbitration some 10 or so years ago uh, where a witness had last minute issues um, uh, with uh, his visa. And so we decided as a tribunal and the parties agreed to hear that particular witness remotely. Um, This was at a time when video conferencing services were not as reliable as they are today, but uh, it worked out at the end um, to the satisfaction of all involved. Um, Also in 2019, that is pre-pandemic, ICSID actually noted that a majority of its hearings had a video conferencing component. So while remote hearings are nothing new, what is new and what is indeed a rather significant paradigm shift um, is that they have become mainstream. They have become the norm in international arbitration. And the other thing that has changed during the pandemic and in particularly in the height of the first wave is that hearings had to become fully remote where every single participant had to connect individually and separately um, from different locations, often from their home uh, offices due to uh, the lockdown. So going forward, my guess is that remote hearings are here to stay, even in a post-COVID environment, and that's why the LCA rules are important to give us a solid basis for that. But remote hearings will not be in that fully fledged Um, fully remote fashion. Um, Rather, I've now had several hearings, LCA hearings, um, and particularly between the first and the second wave um, of the pandemic in Europe, where the members of the arbitral tribunal gathered together, um, counsel for the claimant uh, was in a different place, but together respondent and their legal representatives in another and potentially witnesses and expert elsewhere. Um, So it's that hybrid form where you use video conferencing, but the participants still have the opportunity to gather in different hubs, so to speak, um, to connect. And it's these combinations that I think we will continue to see even after the end um, of the pandemic. Now, uh, maybe a word on the um, users of remote hearings and what they think of uh, the practice, because that, of course, is also important. In the book on international arbitration and and COVID-19 that you've mentioned so kindly in in the introduction, there is one chapter uh, co-written by Gary Bourne, Annalise Day QC, and Hafez Regine that contains an empirical study. They've analyzed data collected from remote hearing users, counsel and arbitrators mainly, and in their majority, more than 60% of those users rate remote hearings as either better or at least as good as in-person ones. And I think that's an important uh, point to keep in mind, of course. Understood. And on the assumption that these hearings are here to stay, and given that they are, in any event, 
um, increasingly mainstream at the moment. What do you think are the key points that arbitrators and practitioners need to be aware of when conducting them? That is a dangerous question because I could go on for hours on this topic, but I, I won't. Uh, I keep it short. Um, for me, the key to a successful remote hearing is planning and testing. I've heard all sorts of things that you cannot have simultaneous interpretation for remote hearings, that you cannot have witness conferencing. Um, however, I've had remote hearings, including um, all of these features, and I'm not saying it's a walk in the park, but it is feasible provided um, you do the required planning um, and testing. One significant difficulty in my experience with remote hearings is if participants are located in too many time zones too far away from each other. There is no magical solution to this. Um, you either have to shorten the hearing days and then you end up with a longer hearing or the participants, some of the participants need to accept to connect either early in the morning or late at night. Um, so that is definitely something that we all had to struggle with during the pandemic. Understood and thank you, thank you very much Maxi for that um, explanation. Um, moving on to the second area that you identified um, at the outset which is expediting procedure. As you previously mentioned, the new rules include an express reference in Article 14.6, little three, to the tribunal's power to use technology to enhance the efficiency and expeditious conduct of the arbitration. Um, as someone who we know has an interest uh, in the ever-increasing role that technology plays in our community, could you give us your views on how this new provision could be put to good use? by tribunals and the parties. One area where technology is already used quite a bit, um, of course, is in the document disclosure phase with various systems of e-discovery. But frankly, today, this is more in the hands of the law firms. Um, for instance, if they receive hundreds or thousands of documents from the other side at the end of the document uh, production phase, they will use e-discovery, some form of AI, to filter through these documents quickly in a way human reviewers simply could not do. However, I don't think that is necessarily what Article 14.6, little 3 um, is about, since this is about the arbitral tribunal's power to make arbitration process more efficient and more expeditious. In that context, my sense is that technology will change the way we approach the arbitral process as a whole, and that we don't always have to fall back to the plain vanilla exchange of written submissions, document production phase, maybe a second round of written submissions, an evidentiary hearing, and possibly a post-hearing briefs. The fact that we now can meet and have hearings remotely quite easily allows us to question whether that structure, that plain vanilla structure I just mentioned, is really adapted to the specific needs of a particular case. It might well be that it makes sense to have a midstream mini hearing where the parties before the document production phase uh, so that that phase can be limited to relevant issues. We also might not need to have one big evidentiary hearing in one block. Maybe it makes more sense to hear some witnesses in one go and then others later. 
Equally, we could avoid closing submissions uh, immediately the day after the, the last uh, witness or expert testimony, um, leading inevitably to late nights for um, counsel involved. Um, the only reason we usually do so in in-person hearings is because everyone is gathered together in one place. But with remote hearings, now we can think whether it would not make sense to wait for a week so that everyone had the chance to read the transcript and digest the evidence just heard. So finally, I'm mindful maybe this is the most provocative suggestion, uh, is whether we can think of any form or aspects um, that can be done asynchronously in a hearing. And, and what I mean here is in a pre-recorded fashion. For instance, the parties could pre-record their opening statements and the arbitral tribunal could watch those recordings at their leisure uh, and discuss amongst arbitral tribunal members before the start of the evidentiary hearing. Now, the bottom line of all of these ideas is really that we should not just continue doing what we've done for the past decades and plug it into new technology, but rather the fact to use technology and more in mainstream now should allow us to think whether the process itself cannot be improved to suit better the needs of any um, given case. That's really interesting and some very interesting ideas there. Thank you very much. Um, coming now to the third area, which is email being the default for electronic communications uh, and, and written communications in the um, in the arbitration. How significant of a change do you do you think that is? I think I already mentioned before that in my view it is, is a rather significant change. Of course, we already use emails in, in communications between tribunal and parties. But importantly, because emails are now the default under the 2020 LCA rules, arbitral tribunals can use them even if the parties have not specifically agreed to electronic communication. For instance, if you have a defaulting respondent, the use of emails um, will be a valid means of communication. This being said, in each case, the parties and the tribunal will have to assess whether it might not be cautious to also use um, other forms, registered mail or courier service if possible, to enhance the enforceability of a future award against a defaulting party. I see, thank you for that. And finally, in relation to awards, the new rules provide that, as you mentioned, they can be signed electronically and in counterpart. Do you see that as a big change? And what are some of the main issues um, our users need to be aware of? Uh, can I just start by saying that one of my most frustrating experiences during lockdown was trying to sign some awards or getting some awards signed with um, courier services and mails in some countries having come to almost a full stop um, with arbitrators retrieving in some far away country houses before the lockdown, um, tribunal signatures uh, really could become a rather challenging issue. It's in this context that the clarifications in the 2020 LCA rules are really most welcome um, to be able to sign awards electronically and in counterparts. Again, maybe a word of caution, there are jurisdictions around the world that have specific and mandatory requirements 
when it comes to the signature of awards. In some countries, you may need to have unauthorized signatures. In others, you might need to sign every page of the award. So again, parties and tribunals should assess on a case-by-case -case basis where the award might be enforced and at what potential uh, mandatory local requirements are. Excellent. Well, that was the final area that you mentioned in, in the introduction uh, and overview section, Maxi. So thank you very much for an engaging discussion about the role of technology in the new rules. If anyone would like to read more about the new rules, including the other changes that have been made, please do visit the website at www.lcia.org. We will also be publishing two further episodes in this series, looking in more detail at the new provisions in the rules addressing data protection and tribunal secretaries. Please do join us and thank you very much for listening.